If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to James. We're in James chapter 4. If you just started joining us in the last few weeks, you didn't even know we were in James because we took the whole month of August off for uh, some, some different opportunities that we had. But we're back in the book of James. James is uh, it's a book of, of wisdom. It's a very practical book. It's a book of uh, James wants believers to, uh, to live out their faith, right? Don't just proclaim, I believe in Jesus, but, but actually live a life that has been changed by Christ. Um, so uh, the last couple chapters, or the last couple weeks um, before we took our break, we, we were in chapter three. Um, James talks about the, the, the destructive uh, power of our words, our, our tongues. He talked about two kinds of wisdom at the end of James 3, wisdom, earthly wisdom compared to, uh, compared to heavenly wisdom, right? Wisdom uh, that, is, that is pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle. And now we, we transition into uh, chapter 4. We'll be in verses 1 through 12 today. And, and James uh, is probably the first letter that was written in the New Testament. Um, he's writing to churches, and uh, he's writing to them because there are problems, right? The, everything isn't going as, as it should, right? There's backstabbing, there's, there's gossip, there's drama, there's inappropriate relationships, there's favoritism. Um, why is that? Well, that's because Christians struggle, right? We're selfish. We battle sin. There, there's, there's darkness and evil that, that we battle. We, we can have ugly, wrong motives, but God meets us in the mess and the muck that we create even with more grace, like Matt's job in picking these songs is so, so good today. His grace cleanses us, right? He helps us resist the devil and his schemes. It helps us to see our sin for what it is and gives us this humility, recognizing that we need to bow ourselves before the Lord. So let's jump in here. James chapter four, verse one, you can follow along with me. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? It's pretty easy 
to uh, look back to the early church and, and hold them up with this uh, idealistic view, uh, this, this romanticized view that, that everything was good in the early church. And if we could just get back to, to what the early church was like, then it, 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 everything would be better in, in, in our own church. Um, as I said, the, the letter of James is probably the first one written, and, and he wrote it, man, because churches were messy because Christians needed to hear. Um, if, we, if the churches weren't messy, I, I wonder how much of the New Testament we would even have, right? These letters all address messes within the church. And the church is messy because people are messy. Relationships are messy. It's because we battle sin, right? You, you know how self-centered you are, or if you're unaware of how self-centered you are, you're at least aware of how self-centered everyone else is right? Each and every one of us, right? We, we can put on the best behavior externally. We can say uh, the right words. We can work hard uh, to look the part. But man, there's this pull within us, right? To think of ourselves, our needs, our desires first. And, and it's a force that is stronger than gravity, right? That, that's attempting to exalt what we desire, what we want above everyone and everything else. So he starts off in verse one with this rhetorical question. What is it that, that, that's bringing about these quarrels and these fights? Literally, wars is, is what he's saying. What causes wars among you? And he answers with another question. Is it not passions at war within you? This word for passions, it's where we get our word hedonism, right? The, the pursuit of pleasure. And, and no, pleasure in and of itself is not wrong. God created pleasure, but man, we're, we're experts at taking whatever God has created and twisting it and manipulating it and making it, idolizing it, really. And, and James says it's these passions inside you battling, warring in yourself, and, and this, it, it truly is like, like there's a battlefield within you. Um, if you've ever tried to uh, change your diet, right? Maybe you wanted to lose a few extra pounds or you just realize, maybe you just realize like, I do not eat good. I'm not, I'm too old to not eat good anymore. Um, so, so you try to uh, reduce some of those foods that, that aren't good for you. Or maybe, maybe you're like, no, I gotta cut them out. Cause I know like if I just, if I smell like a French fry or, or a chip, I can't just have one, right? I, I'm going to eat way more than I should. And you, you tell yourself, no, there's this inner dialogue. It is a battle. Skinny people, I don't know if, if you understand. But man, James, James tells us we have quarrels and fights, and it's this, it's this warring in the church because of these passions within us, right? And, and James isn't talking about like right reasons to disagree, to argue, even fight in the church. There are justifiable fights that have happened within churches. No, he's, he's talking about, uh, about quarrels and fighting that, that shouldn't be, that, that are not justified. But the problem is that everyone in a fight believes that the fight they're in is justified. Right? I've never thought and, and in the moment at least thought, oh, I'm wrong in this. Like I'm fighting because I believe I am right. Most of the turmoil in any given church is probably not justified. It's probably not profitable, right? It can be ugly and divisive. And James says, man, those fights, it's coming from our own selfish desires, so often framed in righteous, godly reasons. All right, we've heard the saying, all is fair and in, in love and war. And, and so as we're at war in James, he's, he's calling out how dark and ugly it can get. 
right? He says, you desire and don't have, so you murder. And, and you, you read that, James, I'm no murderer. Like, you're wrong. You, you've got me confused with some other Christian. Sure, I get heated up at times. I admit that, but I've never murdered. Yeah, yeah, maybe there are things in my mind. I thought, man, if I could just take a swing at that guy or if I could say this to that person. But no, I, I clean up my actions by, by the time uh, they come out. He says, you, you desire, you do not have, so you murder. I wonder if James is, is bringing to a, a mind for us a scene from the Old Testament, right up on that rooftop where David sees Bathsheba. Right? And David, he's the king of Israel, if you don't know. He had, by this point, he has tons of wives. Right? David, is, he's a womanizer for sure. He's, he's, a, he, he's a sex addict, I think. Long story short, he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he finds out who she is. Right? It turns out that she's the wife of a man named Uriah, who literally in that moment is out at war fighting for Israel. Right? He's, he's, he's protecting Israel and David. But David has this desire for Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. Uh, she, it turns out that she gets pregnant. Obviously, not Uriah's because he's out on the battlefield. So there's way more to the story to it, but, but David has Uriah ultimately murdered because he, he, can't, he can't cover it up any other way in his mind. He has, it, he has uh, Uriah murdered on the battlefield to cover up the pregnancy. Then after Bathsheba mourns the, the loss of her husband, he takes Bathsheba as his own wife, right? It's, it's one of the most messed up stories in scripture, and there, there's a lot, um, but it's up there. David's idol was his own pleasure, right? And, and you read that story about David, and you just think, man, what is wrong with that guy? Like, how in the world could he do that? Well, let, let's step back for a moment. David was the king, right? He had real power like none of us understand, like none of us have ever experienced. The kingdom was at his disposal. People did what he said because he, he had that kind of power. He could do whatever he wanted, and he thought that he could get away with it, right? He thought, man, I can do this. I can do this and have zero consequences. Now, obviously, he was wrong, right? God completely confronts him on this. But, but think for a moment, back in your life, like, what would you have done if you really could have gotten away with it? And I think if we have any humility at all, we'd recognize, yeah, there's, there's some things that, man, that we might have been really, really tempted to do. Maybe we would have done them if we really believed that we had the power to get away with it and have zero consequences. So these passions within us battling, causing fighting within the body of Christ, it's, it's destructive. He goes on verse 4 as if being called a murderer is enough. He says, you adulterous people, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, right? He, he called you a murderer. Now you're an adulterer, right? And, and, and we, we say that, that we are gods now. And yet scripture helps us see it holds up the mirror. It helps us see that, man, we cheat on God. He's faithful to us. And yet we turn to the world. We flirt with the ways of this world. Ways that at best are indifferent to God, but at worst, man, they hate God. They rebel against God. They hate his good ways. And calling us adulterous is, is certainly offensive. But in case that doesn't make the point, he goes on to say, man, you're a friend of the world. You're an 
you make yourself an enemy of God. And that should be sobering to us, right? Because we recognize he's writing to believers. These are, these are Christians, right? Not Christian in name only, but genuine Christians, right? They, they've placed their faith in Jesus. They've trusted him for the forgiveness of sins. They've repented of their sin. They've turned to Jesus, right? Giving themselves to Christ. But over time, they've become enemies of God, right? They've become adversarial to God. And that should, that should be sobering to us. That should stop us in our tracks. How in the world can we become friends of the world. Now, he isn't saying, right, that, that we're not friends with people in the world, right? We are called to be light in this world. No, he's talking about the systems of this world, the philosophies, the, the ideas of the world that are ultimately in opposition to God, right? I think about uh, friendship with the world. I, I think about even how we are, um, uh, how we are willing to be entertained. I think our culture, we have really exalted and idolized entertainment, right? How many, how many shows do we justify or movies do we justify watching so that we can be entertained? And, and if we look at those, we go, man, this does not line up with God and his good ways. Philippians 3.18 says, for many of whom I have often told you, and now even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Kent Hughes, who's a pastor, asked this in, in relationship to this verse. He says, are we better friends with the world today than we were a year ago? Verse five, he says, or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, that God can be jealous uh, it might be shocking to you when we, when we read this in scripture. Um, and I suspect that for many of us, when we hear jealousy, it conjures up uh, really negative, kind of horrible, um, not only emotions, but behavior. But in any loving relationship, uh, a degree of jealousy does make sense, right? If we were to take a husband and a wife, it would be bizarre if, if a spouse didn't feel a degree of jealousy over a spouse who was being pursued by another, Right? If, if they didn't make that husband or that wife jealous, that would tell us that that marriage is not right. Like something's really wrong with that relationship. Right? If, or if you, uh, if you have a kid and, and, they, and they left your family right? for, for whatever reason, right? maybe, maybe, maybe some addiction, they left your family, you're, you're going to feel this, this, this jealousy, this, this love within you, this yearning right, for your kid. You love them. Right? You, you want them to come back. This isn't right what they are doing. Man, our relationship with Jesus is not a casual one. God's love for us is so deep. It is a passionate love. Jesus gave up his life for us to, to forgive us of our sins, to, to reconcile us to God so that we could be in this committed covenant relationship with him. Right? We love him, but, but we struggle. Right? We, we, we struggle. We struggle to remain faithful to him. There's this story in the Old Testament, the prophet uh, Hosea, and God tells him to go marry a woman, which you know, sounds great, except this woman was a prostitute. And God, God says, this is, she's going to be your wife. You, you need to go marry her. So he, he marries her, and at first everything seems okay. And, and certainly, if she was a prostitute because of money before, like that need is gone. Jose is a good husband. He's going to take care of her. She, she won't need to sell herself. 
but pretty quickly she goes off into prostitution again, leaves, leaves her husband, Hosea. Um, but this time it, it isn't about money. Like she's actually paying for these relationships herself. And all of this is a picture of God's people and their unfaithfulness to him. He's saying, he's saying, this is what you've done to me, Israel, right? I came to rescue you. I took you as my spouse. I gave you everything that you needed and you run back to what you knew before me. You reject my love for you. But then what's crazy is, is God tells Hosea, you need to go and get your wife. You need to go rescue her, right? You need to take back your wife. You need to love her even though she's been unfaithful. The, the jealousy that God has for us is out of his deep love for us. Even when we are unfaithful to him, we are deeply loved by him. We are the bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit within us doesn't want us to go after anything else or anyone else to have our needs met. We're to run after him, not, not run after sin. He loves us. First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Man, so verses one through five, it's like you've just been a body bag. James is just punching on us, right? You're, you're selfish. You, you, you don't get what you want, so you murder. You're adulterous. You're an enemy of God. It's just bam, bam, bam. When I was little, I remember my dad felt like it was time for me to be able to clean up my own room, which is a good thing, parents, if you don't know. So I don't know, I'm like maybe four years old, and dad says, Greg, clean your room, right? So I go in, and I come out like two or three minutes later, clearly not long enough to clean a room. I say, Dad, my room is clean. He, he comes in. He's like, there's no way it's clean, Greg. And right, he, he sees like the two things I did put away. And then he sees some things stuffed under my bed and he opens my closet and there's like stuff like falling out of there. He's like, this isn't clean, Greg. Like clean your room. So again, I'm in there and I'm not in there long enough and I don't do a good job and I come out. Dad, my room's clean. There's no way it's clean, Greg. Like I just saw it. I'm like, no, dad, I put everything away. I, I did this time. No. And so he comes in and everything that's not in the right place Right? Everything that I tried to hide in a new place or, or just didn't, it wasn't put away, was kind of just thrown about. He just started piling up in my room. And, and it became, for a little four-year-old, like it became a big, big pile. I'm thinking, man, like I, I'm never going to finish cleaning my room with all of this stuff. That's what I feel like here in verses one through five. But then we get to verse six and it says, but he gives more grace. Right, more grace. What does that mean? Right, this is grace on top of grace, like, like we sang about here. There's, there's the grace that, 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 uh, that God gives to save us, right, to forgive us of our sin. The grace needed to be reconciled to God. James is saying, man, there's even more grace. God gives even more grace. In our adulterous state, God meets us with even more grace. John 1, 16 talking about Jesus says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So for the believer, and no matter what we face in life, God supplies us with all the grace that we need, right? There will be always enough grace for those who turn to God, who humble themselves, who bow before God. The verse says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So to the one who recognizes, no, God, I do need you. I can't take care of my sin. My, my life is a mess. I need you to be Lord over everything, right? That person who, who sees rightly that they aren't as good as the world says they are. 
man, they come before God recognizing their selfishness, recognizing that God is who they need, and he gives even more grace. That grace just keeps coming. I read about uh, a painting of, of Niagara Falls. I've never gotten to see Niagara Falls. I've just seen video of it, but you know what it's like, just, just water coming, and the, the power, the spray, like how far out it goes. Like it, it is, uh, I hope someday to see that amazing sight. But anyway, someone painted this picture of Niagara Falls. They submitted it to like an art show, an art exhibition, um, but they neglected to name the painting. And apparently that's a big deal. You can't have a painting without a name at an art show. So uh, the, the people running the show, they named it. And I love the name. It, it says more to follow. And, and I just thought, man, Christians, like that's the Christian experience, right? Right? No matter how much we stumble and fall, right? even when we blatantly run after sin, there's more to follow with God's grace. It's yeah, so, so comforting. Uh, I'm not at all into poetry, but I stumbled upon a poem that I actually really like connected to this. It says, he gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends more grace when the labors increase. To added affliction, he adds mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our storehouse of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives and gives and gives again. So good. When you feel like all you do is turn your back on God, right? And even if no one else can see it, no one else can tell, but in your heart, you, you just know, man, you know how sinful, you know how self-centered you are, right? You relate to Paul who says, I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I, that I don't want to do. Man, there's, there's good news if you feel that way, right? There's more grace to follow for the one who humbles themselves before God. Uh, one day, uh, this uh, woman came up to Charles Spurgeon, the, the preacher, uh, nice-looking woman, dressed really, really nicely, and she said to him after the sermon, I pray for you every day that you may be kept humble. And Spurgeon in that moment was convicted. And he said to her, he confessed to her, he said, I've never prayed that, that you would be kept humble. And, and, and I mean, he's essentially, he's apologizing to her. And immediately she replies and says, dear sir, there's no need for such prayers for I am not tempted to be proud. <laughs> and Spurgeon didn't say this to her, but later he commented, he said, he said how proud she was to to have obtained such a delusion. Um, man, we're blind to our pride. Every one of us, <laughs> you think I'm wrong, go talk to God about it. Man, we, we are blind to our pride. And, and then we come to probably one of our least favorite words in verse seven, submit. We don't wanna submit. We, we don't wanna submit to God or, or anyone. Our, 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 in our culture, like we, we want to be confident, we want to be assertive. Maybe we want to be in, in, intimidating even. Maybe we want to dominate. We do not want to submit. My eight-year-old, um, uh, for a couple of years now, we, we, we play this game where she, uh, she challenges me, right, to basically a wrestling match. Um, and she puts on like the meanest face possible and says, I challenge you, dad. 
And so we get on the floor and we start wrestling the whole time. Like she's trying to be grumpy looking and intimidating and I just want to kiss her face. Like she's, she's just so cute. But there's a rule now that there's no kissing in, in, uh, in this game. So we're wrestling around. And then at some point, every time we play this again in like this mean kind of intimidating voice, she says, the only way out is to tap out, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That I have, to, I have to tap out and submit to her. And then she'll say, do you tap out? And like, no. And, and we keep wrestling and wrestling and, and wrestling. And, and then she'll say it again. And then finally, I'm like, I tap out. And she genuinely cheers. She goes, yes. Like, she's so happy. Maddie has never once tapped out in that game. Right, and, and sometimes I'll just see like how long can we go? Never once has she submitted. submitted. None of us want to, right? But the gospel is upside down, right? Our, our submitting to God is what we need, and, and we'll see in verse ten how He responds to those who who humble themselves to God. And then James here he gives these rapid fire commands, three of them. The, the first one James commands us: resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And, and this resist it's this military. A metaphor, right? That, that, that we're, we're fighting, we're standing against. We're not running and hiding. That's what the devil will do. But the imagery here is that we turn and we fight. We stand our ground. And I can't help but think of Ephesians 6, right? The, the spiritual armor that Paul tells us to put on. And Paul tells us this battle that we're in, it, it's not against flesh and blood. No, it's a spiritual battle. And, and I won't get into all the, the spiritual armor of, of Ephesians 6, but Paul tells us we're, we're armed. We're armed with truth. We're armed with righteousness. We're armed with our faith, our salvation, the word of God. So we resist the devil, James says, right? We, we stand our grounds with these weapons that God has given us for this, this spiritual battle. And the, the devil turns tail and runs. Second command, he says, draw near to God. And he promises that he will draw near to you. So how, how do we draw near to God? We could say a lot of things, but man, certainly getting in the word, right? Like, like regularly spending time, just feasting on God's word, man, gathering as a church. And not just, I don't just mean coming on Sundays, but belonging to a church, being a part of a church, right? Having, having friendships, with the people in your church that actually help you grow in Jesus, help you think about, about Christ, that will challenge you, right, in, in, in ways where you are just not living for Jesus. We dropped off, uh, we dropped off Caden uh, to college just, you know, probably nine, ten days ago. Um, and, and I'm praying a lot of things for him, but one of the things I'm praying is for good friends, right? And not just people he likes, but, but people that will help him grow in Jesus. Culturally, um, a lot of people feel alone. And even, um, even in our country, people that have friends, there's such a shallowness to friendships. Man, we need friends that, that man, there's, there's true fellowship. It's true brothers and sisters in Christ, just arm in arm saying, hey, let's, let's follow Jesus together. Certainly we draw near um, by, by praying. Um, so Caden, we dropped him off at college and we, you know, took off, got back home, and I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to give him space, right? He needs, he needs to spread those wings and fly, so I think I've only initiated one text with him in like nine or 10 days. I'm kind of going crazy, um, but we're uh, maybe day two or three of being home. Uh, I'm in the kitchen doing something. Lindsay and, and the kids are in the living room, and then uh, Lindsay goes, oh, Caden's calling, and like we all just like flock, 
right? Like you would think our son had been deployed and, and like was calling from a satellite phone. Right? Man, he calls and, and he just had a question about laundry machine settings, but we'll take it. Um, and, and he was good. He talked to us way beyond the laundry, laundry conversation. Um, but man, I had no idea how good it would be to hear my son's voice. Like, I, I, I mean, I knew, I knew I'd want to talk to him, obviously, but, but I didn't understand how great it would feel to hear my son on the other end of the phone. And man, I, I'm telling you, God didn't even give me a second after we hung up. And he just made me think, man, is this what it's like when we pray? Right? And, and man, I'm not trying to say that because I as a father feel this way, that our heavenly father feels this way. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, but I do know God loves us way more than I love my kid, right? And man, Caden, will, he won't understand how much I enjoyed that phone call, right? Until, until he's in my place. Like if I told him, he'd probably laugh at me. But man, God loves it. God loves it when we draw near to him. James promises we do that and, and God's drawn near to us. Remember the, the story of the prodigal, right? The, the prodigal son, if you don't know the story super quickly, this son, he, uh, he, he basically tells his dad, like, hey, I don't want you. I want your stuff, right? Essentially, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. Will you just give it to me now so I don't have to wait for you to die? Dad, dad gives it to him, right? Graciously gives him his, his cut. And, and the kid takes off, blows all his money. He, he's at the end of his rope. He realizes, I'm an idiot, I just need to go back and see if my dad will hire me, right? Even as like the lowest servant. So he's walking back to dad's. He's on this journey back, certainly rehearsing exactly what he's going to say and what happens. Man, dad's watching. And, and dad can see like way off in the distance, right? He spots him. And I'm sure every time he sees uh, someone traveling towards him, he wonders, is that my son? And he's looking and he's looking and he's looking. And then he can tell my boy walks like that. And what does he do, man? He just takes off running straight at his son. Man, we take even a step in God's direction. He is booking it to us. We draw near to God. James says he draws near to us. The third command, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, right? James like, it's time to clean house. Right? Quit messing around with sin. Stop living this double-minded life. It means two-souled life, right? Like one soul trying to live for God, one soul trying to live for sin. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, he says, blessed are the pure in heart or blessed are the, the single-minded in heart. He says, for they shall see God. Man, we gotta stop trying to live with one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the world. Do you have sin today? that you just keep holding on to, right? That, that you need to confess to, to someone, some brother or sister in Christ today. Verse nine says, be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Man, are we broken? Are we just broken over our sin? Like, when's, when's the last time, when's the last time you, you, you cried over your sin? Uh, the Puritans, one thing I know about the Puritans is they took sin seriously way more than we do. John Owens, a Puritan preacher, said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. 
So is there sin? Is there darkness in you that you've just been holding on to that needs to be brought out into the light? I encourage you, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, respond. And I know, I know it's scary. Man, it's scary to confess our sin to one another. And yet, man, Scripture tells us to do that. What we want to do is, is we want to hide our sin. But remember, man, we draw near to God. He's going to draw near to us. We confess that sin. He is faithful. Jesus wants us to give it to him. So James writes, man, humble yourself before the Lord. Right? The, the upside down part of this is he says, and he will exalt you. The, the way of the gospel, it's just... It's, it is the opposite of, of how we think, right? God exalts the humble, and yet the proud will be humbled by him, not, not by their choosing. So we come before God, and we recognize how messed up we are, right? We recognize our sin, our, our self-centeredness, our, our pride, right? The, the, the things we wish we could do, and, and maybe if we had the chance, we really would. And we bow all of that, right? All of who we are, we bow that before God. We give him everything, Right? We're to give him our plans, our dreams, our, our, our future, right? We bow all of who we are before him, and he meets us with grace upon grace. Luke 18, 14, it says, uh, uh, in the second half of the verse, it says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So then James, in these last couple of verses, he comes back again to, to how we treat each other, and specifically our words. Man, he's, he's already in chapter 3, he's told us how devastating our words can be. Our words can devour and destroy. He says in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Literally saying, don't speak down on one another. Again, it's this imagery of, of, of like shoving you know, that brother or sister down so you can exalt yourself. And, and this isn't this speaking down, this speaking evil against, it isn't, it isn't slander, right, which is speaking falsely about someone. It's easy for us to think, well, if, as long as I'm speaking truth, Right? Even, if it's, even if it's negative, even if it's, even if it's damaging, I can do that. No, he's saying, don't, don't do that. That, that. that is no good. This isn't how brother and sister talk. Uh, author, pastor, uh, Walter, and I always say his name wrong, I think it's Wangarin, um, wrote a collection of short stories. Some of you might be familiar with The, the Rag Man. Um, he, he tells uh, another story. He's talking about uh, he's talking about, uh, about female spider and, and why female spiders are often widows. And it's because really anyone who gets close to them, there's a good chance they're they're going to get eaten, right? Including uh, her mate. Uh, certainly flies, like we've all seen flies trapped in a spider web, and, and, and that that fly looks intact. It looks whole, and, and that's because the the spider uh, doesn't have a, a stomach that can digest, right? So what she does is uh, she she, she punctures her victim and, and injects these digestive liquids inside, right? So that the fly looks whole on the outside, but inside it's being broken down and essentially turned into a soup. And Walter says, uh, the soup she, she swills, drinks, right? And then making his point, he writes this. He says, even as, as most of us swill souls of another after having cooked them in various enzymes with our words and guilt, humiliation, cruel love, right? There are a number of fine uh, acidic mixture, uh, mixtures, he writes. And some among us are so skilled with the hypodermic word that our dear ones continue to sit up and smile quite as though they were still alive. Man, our words, our words are destructive. We do way more harm than, than we set out to do, I think. 
James goes on, he says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law, right? So he, he says, again, what we're doing is, is we're, we're speaking against them, we're exalting ourselves above the law even, right? Earlier in James, he talks about the law of liberty, the royal law, Paul calls it the, the law of love. Man, when we speak this way, we're not doing that. We're, we're not living by that. We're, we're, well, again, it's a pride issue, Right? There's a lack of humility. There's a self-exaltation right? that, that James says it, it's so strong. It's like, it's like you're, you're making yourself above the law. It's like you're making yourself the judge. Matthew 7, 1 is often quoted uh, to, to say that, that Christians aren't to judge. Right, Judge not that you be not judged. And, and you cherry pick that verse. That does make sense. It does sound like that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But the problem is there's context to it. Right, Jesus is saying, hey, don't, don't call out the speck in your brother's eye when you've got this log, this plank protruding from your eye. He's saying, take care of your own sin first. Like, clean that up before you go and call out your brother on their sin. In John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, right? So there's, there's a judging that, that is right and good for believers to do. What James is doing is he's confronting a judgmental spirit, right? He's saying, when, when we do this, we're speaking against the law, right? You, you might as well be saying that you, you know more, you know better than the law. You're outside of the law, even above the law. Right? We, we think that we're so spiritually sensitive, so spiritually wise and insightful. But again, this is arrogance. Right? It's so arrogant that, that we're elevating ourselves even to the place of judge, higher, uh, higher than God. And God is the rightful judge. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, right? That should humble us. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Don't be a fool and exalt yourself as judge, James says. So what happens when we humble ourselves before God acknowledging our sin? Let's go back to, to Walter and the, and the spider. He paints this picture of the female spider. She's had her babies, but, but this, this famine descends on, on, on her web. And her, her and her offspring, there are no flies to eat. They're, they're going to die. And he writes this. He says, but then privately, she performs the deed unique among the living. Into her own body, she releases the juices that digest. Freely they run through her abdomen while she holds still, digesting not some other meat but her own, breaking down parts of her that kept her once alive until her eyes lay flat and she dies. She becomes the stomach for her children and she herself the food, right? She gives up her life for her children. And I don't think we can call this love. <laughs> you know, I don't think we can say, oh, that's so noble. No, it's instinct. But man, what a, what a picture here of Christ, right? When God made him to be sin who knew no sins that we might become the righteousness of God. We, we live by feasting on the risen Christ who gave up his life for us. Man, this is the God that we get to bow down to. Would you pray with me? God, we, we love you, Lord, not, not as we should, um, but in your grace, you are helping us to love you more and more. You're transforming us to look more and more like Jesus. God, we wanna be a people, man, that are, that are quick to confess our sin uh, to you, certainly, and to one another. God, will you help us to be a church that is humble? God, will you help us to, to quickly respond as you convict us, Holy Spirit? God, I, I cannot believe 
that you just keep giving us your grace. If it wasn't in scripture, I don't think I could buy it. And, and yet it is, Lord. It, it is true that, that there's grace on top of grace. You, you continue to love us even when we are unfaithful to you. God, we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.